right. Well, good morning. Great to see everybody here on a holiday weekend. Many are tuning in live from the lake today, and uh, we're just going to pray that um, nothing happens to their boats or anything bad like that since we're in church and they're on the water. But um, today I'm going to hop right into this, Proverbs chapter 12. I want you to go there if, if you've got your Bible or Bible app. And today is going to be one of those uh, teachings that is very discipleship driven. So um, I, I kind of like on holiday weekends doing discipleship type messages today is definitely going to be one of those. So if you're the person who likes to dig in just a little bit, if you are that person who likes to grow, then today is going to be your kind of, of message. So let's go to Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 1, and let's dive into this this morning. It says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is stupid. Okay? Now, I didn't, I didn't write that, and that's not from the Message Bible. Okay? That's straight out of the King James. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. Whoever hates correction is stupid. Now, anytime the Bible says, hey, if you're doing this, you're stupid, it's probably a great opportunity to say, is that me? All right? So what I want you to do is turn to the person beside you and say, do you think I'm stupid? Okay, go ahead and ask them, do you think I'm stupid? <laughs> now, I, I don't want to be stupid, so I don't want to do the thing that would make me stupid, which Solomon says is to hate being corrected, to hate correction. So if you hate being challenged, if you hate changing, if you hate being confronted or even confronting yourself, then that type of mentality, that type of space is being stupid and it's being unteachable. And so here we are today, we find ourselves in the first days of summer. Memorial Day weekend is here, kids are out of school, everybody's mowing the yard, washing boats, planning vacations. And speaking of that, there are, there are two types of people when it comes to vacationing. There's the person who packs about 10 days before they leave for vacation. If that's you, raise your hand. Okay. Then there's the other person who gets up the day of vacation and does a load of laundry. If that's you, raise your hand. Okay. The weird thing is y'all marry each other, and they are the reason you need a vacation. Okay? So it's, it's kind of, 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 of strange. But we all know that school is out, and, and our kids, man, they love being out of, out of school, but there is no way that school can teach you all that you need to know about life but one thing I believe school does for us is it stirs up the love for learning. It stirs it up. It, it makes you curious. It makes you intrigued about some areas. Now, we all have that subject that we hated. We all have the subject that we love, and you can't say lunch, okay? But we all have the subject that we, we were drawn to. I want my, my own kid to love learning, to ask questions, to discover the world that God made to discuss new ideas and new solutions for old problems. 
So today, when we talk about having a teachable spirit, I'm talking about having an attitude and a demeanor that is open, open to hearing from God, open to growth, open to being confronted, open to being challenged, open to changing your way of thinking, and just being teachable, having a presence and a space that says, I don't know everything that there is to know. So a godly disciple must have this, meaning if you are on the journey with Jesus, you got to be teachable. So if you have a church that's full of disciples, you've got a church that's under construction. Because everybody is saying, hey, I need more of this, I need more of that. There's an area in my life that I'm weak in, there's an area in my life I don't do well in, there's an area in my life that I see a cycle in. And so what we want is for God's presence to be able to speak into those areas, make us more like Christ so that we can make greater impact and have broader influence in the world that he has caused us to be part of. So here's the problem. Some people, and I don't want you to let your mind go too far here, else you'll start scrolling through your contact list. But there are some people who do not have a teachable spirit. They are unteachable. This is the attitude that says, can't nobody tell me nothing. right? And so I want you to think about the people in your life that you have ran into, been friends with, gone to church with, work with for just a second where you've recognized that type of spirit involved in their life that says, I don't need you to tell me anything. I've already been there. I've done it. I'm the expert on it. Therefore, they become unteachable. Proverbs 9 verse 8 says, do not rebuke mockers or they will hate you. Rebuke the wise and they will, they will love you. So why does the mocker hate you? Because they're unteachable. Because they're stupid. Why do the wise love those who correct them? Because they're not stupid. Like if there's something I, I don't know, if there's a blind spot in my life, I want to know it. I want the Holy Spirit to make me better. I want to grow. I'm open to it. I don't have to walk around in the world with a chip on my shoulder playing the expert in every room that I walk into. So how do I know then if I have an unteachable spirit? Well, let's break this down for just a few minutes. The first thing I would talk about would, would be this. Chronic failure. So if you're here today and you're in a cycle constantly of failing, specifically in the same areas, over and over and over, and you have chronic failure, then there's a great chance that you have become unteachable. Proverbs 13 and verse 18 says, Poverty and disgrace come to him who ignores instruction. But whoever heeds reproof is honored. So listen, having a flaw or a weakness or making a mistake makes you human. But repeating that same flaw, living in that weakness... Making that same mistake 
over and over across your lifespan is pointing directly to an area where you've stopped listening, where you've stopped learning, where you've stopped seeking counsel, where you've stopped being teachable. So when you fail, you're, you're either going to fail forward or you're going to start a cycle of chronic failure. All right. So you fail forward by asking yourself a question, and that question is this. What did I just learn from that? When we make a terrible mistake, when we get embarrassed, when we've lost a friend, when we feel like we are just completely defeated in a circumstance, we need to filter that and take it as an opportunity for growth. And we do that by saying, what am I learning right now in this circumstance? You start chronic failure in that process by not asking, what am I learning but saying, who can I blame for this? That starts the process of chronic failure. So if you're that person who loves to point a finger, and you're that person who loves playing the role of critic, and you're that person who loves just getting in something and being critical and saying, I don't know why you're looking in my, my direction. This is not about me. It's about the others that I live with. It's about the others I work with. It's about the others I worship with. It's about them. It's not about, about me. You are starting the process of chronic failure in your life because you are immediately rising up and saying, I'm not willing to be teachable in this circumstance. A second sign that you have an unteachable spirit is that you are a person who is argumentative and defensive all the time. You love to argue, you love to find defense, you love to be offended, you love living in, the, in that, that, that space, um, you love raising up a shield and saying, don't talk to me about this, go fix it, come back and talk to me, me, me then. But Proverbs 29 and verse 1 says, he who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken, watch this, beyond healing. He says, if you cannot be reproved, if you stiffen your neck, you can find yourself in a place where you are broken beyond healing. That is strong. What this means is, is that you will go through your entire life being offended. You will go through your entire life on the defense. And so, let, let me apply this for just a second. If you find yourself continually in these arguments where you feel like you've got to tell your part of the story, if you find yourself being defensive about multiple areas, it's not just about your marriage or your walk with God or your finances or your parenting, but it seems like every area in your life that you've got your heart tethered to, you are so argumentative and sensitive about. If you find yourself rehearsing comebacks in your head, 
If you think of that person or people in your life that, that you brush up against and you are rehearsing in your mind what you're going to say back to them, then this is classic gaslighting. When you don't want to own it, so you plan on flipping it and telling them that their reality is off, then this is a sign that you are not teachable. You are not willing to look at, at, at yourself. Now let me, let's pause for just a moment. The reason a teaching like this is important and the reason that the church must be teachable is because this is the story of Jesus to become more like him. And to be more like him, you have to be less like you. So there's a shift and a transition that must take place spiritually, that starts at the core of who we are and works its way up and out of us that says, if there is something in my life that is off, would someone please love me enough to tell me about it? Like most teenagers, and my father's here today so he can attest to this, like most teens, you know, my parents would come to me and they would try to pour wisdom into my life. And I would just reject it. Just the stubbornness of I don't want, I don't want to be taught, you know. But suddenly when I got to be about 35, I realized my parents were geniuses. Just brilliant, you know, and you start to think, man, what if I'd written all that down? What if I'd recorded all of that? What if I'd soaked all of that in? What, what would have been the trajectory of my life navigating through some of those very difficult circumstances had I just had a teachable spirit? I remember once I was trying to coach someone who had a stage presence here. And I was trying to tell them, listen, when you're in front of people, this is kind of, you know, the thing that you're doing right now, we really don't want you to do. So there, there, there's an etiquette. There's a presence that you need to have if you're going to be in front of our church. And they just stiffened up. I mean, like they wanted a fist fight over it. And immediately you could just see without going any further, they were not going to be, be teachable. This is what Scripture is talking about. The stiffening of the, uh, the neck. I will not be taught. I will take your punch. This will roll off of me. And if so, there is a danger that you could be broken beyond healing. Meaning you're going to carry that, you're going to pass it on, you're going to present that to your marriage, you're going to model it to your children, you're going to come before the, the Lord with that. It says in, in the book of Acts, God even rebukes them and says, you stiff-necked people. Meaning that we come before God and we're, we're going to be there, we're going to be present, we're doing the stuff, we're coming to church, we're, we're trying to, you know, we're, we're acting out worship before Him, but we are unmovable. I will not change. I will, I will continue to do this thing. You, you can have 90% of me, but this 10%, I do not want you to teach me on it. This makes us have an unteachable spirit. Do you know what is also an odd behavior for those that have an unteachable spirit? They love isolation. They love it. People who are unteachable prefer to be alone because if they're alone they remain the smartest person in every room 
If you are living life by yourself, your opinion is the only one that matters. We all know who did this first in Scripture, right? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve make a mistake. They do something terribly wrong. They immediately realize it. And what do they do? Run off. Well, we did something wrong. Let's run off and hide. That same mentality, that same spirit, if you will, has made its way through every generation where there is a temptation that when I make a mistake, when I'm embarrassed, when something happens in my life where I feel like I need to be reproved or taught or corrected, I'd rather run off and hide behind a bush than to come forward and just say, Lord, I did it, what went wrong, what happened? It's in our nature to run off. Proverbs 18 and verse 1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out or breaks away from all sound judgment. Why? Because when you want to be alone, again, it's only your thoughts and your thoughts become right. This is when people get dangerous. This is when people fall apart. This is when people make unhealthy decisions. When they are alone with just their own thoughts. This one speaks to me because it's my natural tendency, myself. Now, I am what you would call a high-functioning introvert. Meaning that I get my energy when I'm alone. I get by myself, I refuel, then I get into a room and I give that energy away. Then I go back into my own space, I regroup, I come together, I get full, I pray about it, I meditate on it, I study. Then I come back, present that energy into a room again, and then I go back and so on. Some of you are the exact opposite of that. You get your energy from a crowd, from being around people, and then when you're alone, you you get depleted and depressed and upset. My whole family is really high-functioning introverts. When we go on vacation together, and we're together every single meal and every single activity, and we're under the same umbrella at the beach... We get home and we're like, see you later. And we all find a different room to get into and we come out about three days later. We're all door dashing different orders, you know, showing up. We don't want to see each other, organize anything, be in the car together. Why? Because we need some time to just, I got to be by myself, okay? So I struggle with this, and you might too. When I have faced adversity in the past, when I have made a mistake, I retreat unto myself, and I stay there until my confidence returns. So sure, there is nothing wrong with getting alone to process things. But there is a tendency for introverted folks to not reach out when they're going through something difficult or shameful. So I've had to learn to get involved in people's life and let them walk with me through fire and through storm and trust people and say, what are you seeing in my life that I do not see? What is my blind spot? And this is a very uncomfortable thing for every single person in this room to walk up to someone that you love, that you want them to be impressed by you and you have to relent that and say, what are you seeing in my life that's a big weakness? Being teachable. So how do we cultivate a teachable spirit? How do do we shift that? 
Well, this is going to sound very elementary, but the first one is to, to do this. Read the Bible and do what it tells you. And in today's world, this is a profound statement. Read the Bible and do what it tells you. James, the brother of Jesus, wrote a fantastic book in the Bible, five chapters long. And in the first chapter, verse 21, he says this. In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your soul. Nothing has the power to change you and transform you like the Word of God. I don't need an amen. I know you already believe that or you wouldn't even be in the building this morning. So I know this sounds like what a pastor is supposed to say. Read your Bible and do what it says. But test me on it. Try it. Put God's Word in your life as a priority and just see what happens. If you're somebody who has shelved it for a while, if you've said, I, you know, listen, I don't understand this part of it. Things don't make sense to me. Maybe right now you're in a season where you're upset at religion, spirituality, God, and you're like, I don't know that I want to connect to that. Listen, come back, make it a priority, test it, get it in your life, and just see what happens. James tells us one verse later, he says, be a doer of the word. Do not just be someone who listens to it because the person who listens and does not do is deceiving themselves. What is he saying? You're unteachable. If you're hearing it and not doing it, you haven't learned anything. You've been unteachable. So the word has this incredible way of going through your eyes, into your mind, into your spirit, into your heart, into your mouth, and then into your hands and feet. It, 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 it's the only thing we have that has that kind of impact on us. So read the Word and do what it says. Second, and this is hard for some of you, seek wise counsel. Okay? Seek wise counsel. Now there's a difference here in just saying seek counsel. Because sometimes we're tempted to go talk to the people who, wanted, who are going to tell us exactly what we, we want to hear. Okay? It's like coming to your husband and saying, do I look fat in this dress? Okay? The answer is 99% of the, the time is going to be absolutely not. That one percenter is dead. Okay? He's not even with us anymore. But 99% of the time, it's going to be the same answer. You do not want to be with that person. So, here's the question. Who do you got in your life that can give you some wise counsel? Who can talk to you? Who do you trust? Who's ahead of you? Who's smarter than, than you are in, that, in that, that, that area? Whose experience is more broad than, than, than yours? Get around them. Be intentional. Ask for a coffee. Ask for a conversation. Ask for a, a, a FaceTime call. Get with them. Get around them. And just ask questions. Open your life up. Being teachable does not mean that you have to be gullible. Okay? My mom and I were talking about this once. It's hilarious, but my mom was taught by, by her youth group. You know, this would have been in, I don't know, 50s. My mom was taught that if you kiss someone longer than three seconds, you'd get pregnant. Okay, Her youth group bought more pregnancy tests than any other denomination in church history. That was just being gullible. Okay, 
So we don't want to do that. Proverbs 15.22 says, Without counsel, your plan will fail. But with many advisors, they succeed. So seek the right counsel from the right people. No counsel that goes against God's word is wise counsel. If people are telling you things that do not line up with scripture, get away from them. That is not wise counsel. And listen, I don't listen to everyone about everything. Okay? I would never call Rob and Beth and ask them how to baptize someone. They're Church of Christ. They're baptizing everybody, whether they need it or not. Just... But if I want to find out how to raise godly teenage girls, I'm calling them. Okay? So, did you know that the best athletes in the world get coached? The absolute best athletes in the world are getting coached. The top CEOs in the world are surrounded by teams of advisors and counsel, people with life experience, people with academic experience, people with just great sense. PGA players constantly ask their caddy, what's the right club here? What's the distance to the pin? When you walked the course this morning, what did you see that I have not seen? It's getting counsel. Seeking help is not a weakness. It is wisdom, all right? Now, let me conclude by talking out this one part, okay? Now, this, I'm, I'm, I want you to lean in right now for the next five minutes because this is going to feel like Sunday school for just, just a minute. But in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we all know this story. David finally arrives at a place in his kingship where he says, I'm going to start making choices. And the first thing I'm going to do is bring back the ark of God to Jerusalem. Now what this meant was, I am going to bring back the presence of God to God's people. And it had sat for decades, just a few miles away. But when they go to get it, and you know how all this plays out, they treat this like a broken down Prius on I-40. They try to load it up. They got it on a wagon. There's oxen involved. And the oxen stumble. The ark shifts. And he puts his hand out to hold it and dies. And everyone stops and pauses and goes home. And they do not know what to do. Well, the ark is out in the street. So what they decide to do is they're going to they're gonna take a minute to catch their breath and go back and talk to God about this. So the ark accidentally lands at the house of Obed-Edom. And for three months, while David regroups and prays and figures it out, the ark is in the house of Obed-Edom. Well, they come and get it. They take it on to Jerusalem. It's a beautiful thing. And so all of a sudden, Obed-Edom, after having the presence, the physical presence of God in his house, it is now taken up to Jerusalem. So watch this. 
after this happens, you start seeing his name pop up all over Scripture. It's amazing. In 1 Chronicles chapter 15, they were needing a gatekeeper. Look who's listed. Zechariah, Eliab, Benaiah, a bunch of other names I can't pronounce, and Obed-Edom. There's our boy as a gatekeeper. In verse 21 of the same chapter, they need some musicians. Who's listed? Jael, Azaziah, and Obed-Edom as a harp player. Obed-Edom, just a few months ago, was living in Wiener, Arkansas. And now he is on the worship team and is, and is a greeter at the front door. Now they need somebody to guard and protect the ark. Guess who signs up in verse 24? Obed-Edom, Jehiah became doorkeepers for the ark. What has gotten in to Obed-Edom? I'm going to tell you what got into him. He was around the presence of God for three months, and it transformed his thirst to be around it. So if you're struggling in this area today, one of the best things that, that you can do is not just read the Bible and do what it says. And it's not just to find counsel. It is to find yourself in the presence of God and let Him fuel you. He will make you hungry. He will transform you. He will soften the calluses around your life. And you will find yourself signing up. You'll find yourself wanting to be around. You'll find yourself not having to talk yourself into coming to church on Sunday morning. You'll be the first in the building, the last to leave. You'll want to be on the prayer team. You'll want to serve somewhere why presence of God in your life it's transformative so was it worth it let me tell you how how crazy this this turned out Obed-Edom throughout the book of Chronicles has 62 family members who end up serving the church that are just chronicled there may be some left out. We don't know. But we know there's 62 directly from him. Him having the presence of God in his life became something that he modeled generationally. He passed it on to his children, to their children, to their children. They just kept on passing on this transformational thing that Obed-Edom had experienced when the, for three months the presence of God was in the house. This is the key to a teachable spirit. Get in the presence of God. So when we worship, I challenge you, get in. Lift your hands or bow your head or let tears fall down your face. Whatever it is that you do when you worship, just do it. And let the presence of God come into your life. All right? I want you to bow your heads with me really quick today. I don't want to talk to your heart for just a second. You say, Kevin, I'm here today. As you talk this out, I find, I find myself challenged by this as, a, as an unteachable spirit. I see patterns of, of chronic failure in areas of my life where I've done the same thing over and over and over and over again. But today I want to break that in my life. Kevin, I've, I've been hurt deeply in my life. 
I've been lied to. I've had people walk out on me. I've had people leave me as a single parent. And i got areas of my life that have toughened up. And I've become unteachable in those areas. You say, Kevin, that, that's me. I just want the presence of the Lord to wash over my life today. Will you just raise your hand? Because I just want to pray for you. Yeah, amen. Anybody else today? Yep, yep. Thank you, thank you. Yep. Anybody else today? Yep, amen. 